Hey everyone, this is Free Food for Thought, a student-run, student-focused podcast here to feed your curiosity. My name is Nathan, and today I'm sitting down with Davey Rothbard. Davey is a best-selling author, the creator of Found Magazine, a frequent contributor to Public Radio's This American Life, and the author of a book of personal essays, My Heart is an Idiot, and a collection of stories, The Lone Surfer of Montana, Kansas. He writes regularly for GQ, and his work has appeared in The New Yorker and The New York Times. Rothbard's documentary film, Medora, about a resilient high school basketball team in a dwindling Indiana town, won a 2015 Emmy Award. His latest documentary feature, 17 Blocks, was nominated for an Independent Spirit Award and two Cinema Eye Honors Awards. He also contributed writing to the 2020 Oscar-winning short, The Neighbor's Window. Rothbart is also the founder of Washington to Washington, an annual hiking adventure for city kids, and lives between Los Angeles, California, and his hometown of Ann Arbor, Michigan. Dave, thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks, Nathan. It's awesome to be here with you. So I'd like to start by having you talk a bit about your upbringing. Um, first, where did you grow up? Or Ann yeah. Arbor, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, how did your upbringing influence your path up until this point? Yeah. Um, you know, it was great to grow up in a college town. It's, you know, a few miles from the University of Michigan campus. Um, so much going on in that town all the time in terms of arts and art house movie theaters and, you know, cool visitors from around the world coming to speak and play concerts. And so, it, and it's a, it's a diverse area, um, uh, half an hour from Detroit. Um, I, I, I loved growing up there. And also I was lucky to have parents who, we're really creative people. Um, and you know, my dad didn't work in a creative job. He worked at the university, um, kind of running a campus building like janitorial and repairs, but he just, uh, was a, he, he loved theater, film, music. And, and my mom also was, was a really creative person. So any of my interests, you know, when I, when I showed interest in anything creative, like it was encouraged, they didn't force me to go out and, you know, do creative things, but they just, um, they supported any of my interests. And, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I had a lot of great friends in that town that, you know, uh, are collaborators of mine to this day. You know, those kids I met playing basketball at the court, um, those are some of the folks here in L.A. that I still uh, collaborate with. Awesome. And so you mentioned a few of the creative outlets you had as a kid. Could you touch on what those were? Yeah. Um, you know, my own creative outlets. Yeah, I, I loved writing. I, I loved I loved writing stories and, and, you know, f friends of mine would come over. It sounds nerdy and it was, but, you know, friends of mine would come over from grade school and, um, you know, junior high and we would just sit and like write stories, make up. It was, it was like fantasy novels and, you know, <clears throat> wild stuff like that. But an another thing that, that, uh, my brothers and I used to do is we had like a little, almost like Fisher Price tape recorder, just like a, it was like the elementary level boombox, you know, and we would pretend we were radio broadcasters. So even from like the age of eight, you know, we would have our radio show and we would interview each other and we would talk about sports and we would, you know, it was like a eighties podcast, you know, we, uh, we would even do the ads. I remember we would just cover the, the jingles from the local beer commercials that we hear on the radio. And so did did you incorporate any of those things growing up into, um, I, I guess specifically like writing? Um, how did your writing process change over time um, as you became 
like more confident in your writing and you started to share stuff with people as well. Yeah. Um, well, one great thing about living in a college town is that, and, and also going to the high school that I went to, it's called Community High School in Ann Arbor. It's a public school, but um, it's right in downtown Ann Arbor, like blocks from the University of Michigan campus. So you can actually take U of M classes even while you're in high school. And you could just you just walk down the street and and so I started taking like college creative writing classes because you know I I took the one or two at my high school, I started taking them at college and I got exposed to like writing workshops and what that vibe was like and by the time I got to college at Michigan, I was you know doing more and more of those writing workshops and you know it just like it, it's it's almost hard to I can't really demarcate my childhood writing from like my adult writing because it it never really. It, it was the same practice. It was just like loving to write, writing often, not constantly, but, um, you know, so after college, I just kept writing. And eventually at a certain point, I just got to a level of proficiency where I could become a published author. But it, it was just, you know, you start when you're young, you do something enough, you get good at it. And did the way in which you approached writing change over time in terms of how technology and, and that's that emergence. Um, I'm just thinking like, I try to carry around like a little, I have it in my backpack now, but just a little like pocket notebook. Um, but I also do a ton in like Google yeah. docs and stuff. Yeah. Um, so how did that, I, I how did, do you deal with that over time? Yeah, that's an awesome question, Nathan. I, I definitely evolved at some point from, you know, my, my early stories were all like handwritten just in a notebook on a loose piece of paper. Um, I think our family, when I was in high school, we got like a computer and that was like a big deal at the time. N not every, you know, it, you know, we had never had a computer in the house <laughs> and, uh, and I kind of transitioned into an actual keyboard and, you know, it's kind of like once you go there, it's hard to go back. Um, I, I still would write in journals all the time. Hand I, I love handwritten journals, but, um, but in terms of writing my actual stories, it's just, it was easier to go back and edit stuff. And, you know, I, I. At first, it's funny because it's so weird and interesting thinking about this. I remember there was a some transition aches because what I loved about handwriting is, you know, you if you want to edit something, you like cross it out, write in some new words, but the old words remain there. So you kind of have the option to flip flop back. Mm -hmm. And then on a computer, you know, you take out words, put new ones in. The old ones are gone, more or less. And I remember saving like... 17 versions of a story in case there was some older version, you know, at some point you kind of get used to the new style, but, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I, it's, I remember my, my freshman year of college, I had a cool, a, one of my favorite classes. It was just like some freshman seminar and the teacher, the professor required us to write a one page story. It could, I think it could be anything. It could be like a nonfiction piece, a personal essay, but he wanted us to write one page every day. And just the practice of, it was only for maybe the first month of the class, but I remember just knowing that, you know, all right, sometime this evening, like I'm going to go to the computer center at the time and, and sit down for an hour and write something. It was, it was just great to, you know, it, it's like getting your body into shape. You know, it's like, you can't just run out and climb a mountain first day, but if you've, done, if you walked a mile one day, a mile and a half the next day, two miles the next, you know, it's like you get into writing shape and then writing a 10 page story doesn't seem like a big deal. I think I'm going to jump ahead to a later question, yeah, um, going away from upbringing a bit. Um, so just thinking about technology a bit as well, I was wondering, like, as more people 
write stuff down um, digitally or just like they send a text message, um, stuff like that. I was wondering um, with with Found Magazine, um, how have you noticed like notes and the the items you find have changed over time? Um, Because it's like like my mom would she likes to (laughs) use a lot of like post-it notes and stuff. Yeah. now it's like she, like when I'm back home, she could just text right. if, if she needs something done. And I would be more likely to see that than her writing something down because that's what I'm used to. Um, totally. So have you noticed a shift yes. over like 20 years? Yeah. And so just to lay the groundwork for listeners, you know, Found Magazine, it's it's notes and letters. It's, it's a zine. It's just like a, a published print zine that me and my friends make. And we collect notes and letters that people have found on the ground, found on the street, love letters, to-do lists. People send this stuff to us from all around the country. And we slap it together into this little annual print zine called Found. And yeah, I mean, like people are not writing as many notes as they used to. They're not writing long letters as often. And yet two things. One is there are new ways to find things, you know, like Found in my mind has a sort of broad application where it's like it doesn't have to be a note, a crumpled up note that's tumbling down the street. You know, people have sent me emails that were inadvertently sent to their email address. And so just like a note, the note that I found on the windshield of my car that was meant for someone else that kind of sparked the whole idea to do found in the first place. You know, these emails that are sent to the wrong email address, like that's that's kind of a a new way of finding something. It's really about getting that glimpse into someone else's life and kind of getting a sense of of a stranger and and what they're all about. That's what the magic of found is to me. And so... um, this guy told me he, he he bought a cell phone for his dad who was like 80 years old, his first cell phone, and they powered it on. And immediately a string of sort of unhinged text messages started coming through from the ex-girlfriend of whoever had previously had that phone number. And so there was like 40 texts in like a 24-hour period. And so he sent me all these texts. And they do tell a story of their own. It's not a handwritten note, but it, you know, it still tells you something. And then the other piece of it is that I think – Still, to this day, like if somebody, you know, your mom, if she has some simple question for you, she's not going to, she's going to text you. She might not write a post-it note. But but when people really want to express something close to their heart, if ending a marriage after 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, a text so, message wouldn't be. Yeah, a text message <laughs> won't want to, or email won't work. Mm-hmm. People will still put pen to paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I wasn't thinking about it as much from from that angle. Um, but that reminded me, um, my, I. I hope he he's not communicating with them anymore. But um, there was some like grandma who kept texting my brother, thinking um, that he was like someone in their family, um, and asking about like Thanksgiving plans, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that you know, sometimes those kinds of found um, messages uh, tell a story of their own. Um, so shifting back real quick. Um, Back to upbringing. Um, I was pretty curious as well. Um, I, in terms of like jobs you've worked, um, what was your first job and what types of jobs have you had? Yeah, um, and I'll talk about this some tonight at my talk um, at the Athenaeum. Um, but uh, you know, I, I I had all kinds of weird jobs. I mean, mostly I delivered pizza in high school and college throughout college. After college, um, I one of the interesting jobs I had in Chicago. You know, I was a valet at like a country bar. I uh, I had all kinds of weird. I worked at a um, like a a like Armenian rug like a, 
sales location, but, uh, <laughs> but I, but I also worked for this, um, ticket scalper. And so in Chicago, so we would, <laughs> I mean, he was a pro. He'd been doing this for like 30 years, this old rascally, rugged South side Chicago guy. Um, but, uh, he taught me the ropes and, uh, you know, this was during Michael Jordan's heyday with the Chicago bulls. Like tickets were big business and there was no stub hub, you know, there was, um, and so we'd be out there every night, whatever the event was, we'd be at, you know, high, like dance concerts and, and like, and, and theater performances downtown. And then we'd be out at some like Metallica show at the Rosemont horizon. And then we'd be at a black Chicago Blackhawks game. And, you know, um, it was, it was an education into just like, gritty street level, um, hustling. And, and I actually think a lot of the things I learned doing that job have served me well throughout my creative career because hustling is, is like a skill, just like learning to make podcasts or, or, um, you know, any, any other craft. And, and it's a skill that can be applied broadly to pretty much any career you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I like the idea of these, these jobs that I think a lot of people would just kind of like overlook. It's yeah. like, oh, it's like the pizza guy. Right. But I think you really like gain a sense of, I don't know, like a, a certain perspective on things. I, I'm so happy you're saying this, Nathan, because I do think people imagine that the crappy jobs they have after college have no value and they're just like a, um, a stepping stone to, you know, just paying their rent while they pursue what they really love. Um, and, you know, yeah, no one wants to grow up and be a, a professional pizza driver their entire lives. And yet, you know, the things that I experienced in that job, it, it was both like working in a crazy kitchen with people working there from all over the world and hearing their stories. And then also every door you knock on, you're kind of getting a glimpse into that person's life. They come to the door, it might be someone alone and in tears and you don't know if you should have a conversation with them about what's going on. It might be a wild party. People are trying to get you to do bong rips and, but, but, but it's like, to me, when I think about things like found magazine and my interest and curiosity about other people's lives, like I can trace that back to my days as a pizza driver and meeting 70 people a night and just getting these little glimpses into their lives through their front door. And did that experience help guide your creative writing process as well? Like you see someone, you're like, wow, I, I wonder who this person is. Your imagination goes crazy. You write a story about it. Yes, absolutely. I don't know that there's like one specific story I wrote based on someone I met delivering pizza, but I will say that, um, yet yeah, that, that sense of curiosity that, that, you know, getting these little glimpses of other people's lives, like that is a fascinating aspect of that job. And, and I think a lot of kind of, of the low level weight, you know, hourly wage jobs that, that you often get after college. And I think people, who, you know, obviously if they have an opportunity to go pursue a professional career, like immediately after college, like that's great. But I also think something is there, you miss out on something if you shun those jobs or imagine that like they won't benefit you in some way. Shifting a bit over to your Mr. Rogers connection as well. Um, I think you do a good job at actually explaining um, your first interaction with him as well as your, I think it, I guess it was about 20 years ago. Um, I, I was reading that piece published in, uh, the New York times opinion, um, following his death. Um, and I think I must've been like two years old when, when, when he passed away. But, um, I still remember just like watching Mr. Rogers growing up as well. Um, 
So if you could speak a bit about that that time that you were able to connect with him in some way, yeah. um, as well as who you think, if anyone, is kind of like the Mr. Rogers of today. Like, who is this, like, friendly, um, personal voice of, yeah. of TV or radio? Totally. I mean, these are great questions, and, and Mr. Rogers was a treasure. Um, it's, you know... Well, I was, I was really lucky to, you know, this is a guy I loved. I loved Sesame Street. I loved Mr. Rogers. And then I wrote a letter to him and he invited, my family was going to be in his area one summer and he invited us to come by and see him. And, you know, what a treat, this guy who's like your, your hero. And then you get to hang out with him for the day. Uh, it was, it was awesome. And then years later I got to working with this American life, I got to actually go interview him as an adult. And like, it was close to, I was more like, I was your age, you know, and could be a couple years older than you, but I got to, um, I got to sit down with him and talk to him about these more like real world problems and just discovered what a special guy he was that he wasn't just like a kid's TV show host. Like he had these incredible insights into the adult world and, and the ways, um, we can, treat each other more kindly. And, and so I was really lucky, uh, to spend some time with him and he passed away, uh, not too long, you know, a couple years later. Um, it was an honor for the New York times to ask me to write about him and share some memories of, of him. But, um, you know, that voice it, it's, it's missed, it's needed, you know, even, even in, in TV, you know, I, I have a, I have a kid now who's not, you know, who's a, a young boy and like, there's good programming out there, but there's not just that that quiet, just like simple um, one person just like talking to you and just telling you about their life. And um, I out there, I mean, in the world, there are people with Mr. Rogers like qualities. Um, there are these messengers. I'm actually thinking of Jimmy Carter has been a public figure a lot the last 20 years. He's in his last days right now, um, but he's someone who has changed the world for good and and has been a great voice. Um, um, you know, for me, I, I meet people with Mr. Rogers like quality, you know, and, and they're not famous, but just, and I, I always gravitate toward them. I'm, I'm actually working right now on a new documentary project um, about a man who was just released from prison in Texas where he served 34 years for a murder he didn't commit. And um, being around him, his, his graciousness, his kindness, his, his focused engagement with you, it, it reminds me so much of Mr. Rogers. And, uh, and I, I told him that and I told him I meant it as a compliment and he, he understood. Um, but yeah, I was lucky to, to grow up around, uh, to, to have that figure in my life on TV growing up and, and, uh, and to actually get to meet him. And in the last few minutes we have here, um, your talk at the Athenaeum tonight is, um, life after college. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to get too much into it just because yeah. the, the talk will still be recorded. But um, I, I think I was mainly curious about insights you have into benefits of like, because uh, this is a student focused podcast, sure. the benefits of studying abroad and yeah. seeing the world and the sort of like insights you can get from it. Because awesome. um, I I've yet to, I've left, I haven't left the country yet. Yeah. Um, I'm planning on going abroad next semester, but, and that's going to be my senior year fall. Where are you going? So 
either Italy or like either Rome or Prague or Amman, Jordan. Um, so uh, all seem like amazing. Yeah, uh, yeah. choices, and my it's f- on CMC's dime as well. Yeah, so that, that's, that's don't have to pay the, for it. The, that will be incredible. Uh, my my friend studied in, abroad in Prague, and I visited him during that time. And uh, I love Eastern Europe. I thought that, that was a really interesting place to go. But Amman, Jordan, sounds like it would be too. Um, you can't go wrong with any of those places. I, I, for me, and I'll talk about it a bit tonight. Yeah, travel is 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 crucial, you know, and it could be international travel if you have if anyone has a chance to do that. Like, I definitely recommend it. Um, I grew a lot uh, when I was nineteen. I at Michigan. I I won some writing awards they had there at the school, and I, and for I had enough cash to like buy a plane ticket, and a friend of mine went for three months between my sophomore and junior year and, and traveled around Europe. And I grew a lot that summer. You know, it's like I was a somewhat worldly kid. Like I went, my dad's from New York City. I'd been there a lot. But but just to travel on your own, um, it, it was hard at times. It was lonely at times. But it's like it was it was amazing. It was, and, and what an adventure. And you meet so many people. And um, but, but what I always try to emphasize is that while international travel is special, you know, like not everyone has the resources to do that. And it's not necessary, I don't think, to have the kinds of adventures that I think are special. In fact, sometimes traveling around the U.S. can be richer in a certain way because um, if you are exploring areas outside of just like the the hip areas in, in big cities, you know, but if you get out there and see the countryside, see smaller towns, see strange parts of the big towns, you know, um, just because, especially there's no language barrier, you know, you can have incredible, um, you can really have incredible adventures. And, and I, I am tonight in my talk and I just emphasize the value of talking to strangers and, 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 you know, even when I, when I finished college, I moved to Chicago. Um, it was a big city near, near where I lived. And, um, I, I didn't have the money or time to go on these like, you know, cross country adventures yet. <laughs> but what I did do was, I created these little adventures within my city, you know, my friend and I, we would take just like a old school at the time tape recorder with actual tapes. I didn't even know I wanted to do podcasting or radio or anything. I just wanted to meet people and like experience worlds that I wasn't familiar with. So I would go to places that I had really had no business going to and had, you know, like that were not part of my world, like a boxing gym or like a Polish bar on some, you know, distant part of town. Um, we would go to, um, just, just weird thing, you know, it might be a high school basketball game, um, in a, in a in the far on the West side or the South side. And, you know, and just, we, we would bring our little tape recorders and just talk to people and listen. And we would say we were doing a school project and that like, is something I still use to this day to just permit myself, but people feel comfortable immediately talking to you. Cause I feel like, okay, there's no big stakes here. And people would just share their stories with us. You know, we'd be like five minutes and so we just wander into a boxing gym. Hey, we're doing a school project. Bam. We're like standing courts or ringside is these two like young fighters are like pummeling each other. And then they like come to the side and they chat with us about their lives. And it was like, it was so fascinating. And it felt like we were doing these like crazy worldly adventures, even though we were like within miles of our apartments. And so I, I, I think, yeah, I definitely think uh, travel is valuable and, and, and just the adventures you'll get into are, are really special. And I think, um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners as, as well are as big uh, This American Life fans as I am, but I think like that's 
part of what is so engaging to me in it. Just like the talks with uh, people that you usually just be like, oh, well, they have nothing interesting to share. Um, they're not wealthy. Um, but yeah. it's also easier than ever with basically everyone having a cell phone, being able to record on it. Yes. Um, have about <laughs> just about a minute left. Um, just I was curious as well, your current favorite piece of media as well, like a song, album, book, anything like that? Yeah. Um, well, I <laughs> that's a, gr a great question. I, there, there's a lot of ways to go. Um, I've been uh, um, there's a there's a musician named Will Chef, and he has a band called Ockerville River, uh, and it's he's he's never been famous, but he's a genius. He's an under under underknown genius. He he has his following. Um, he just put out his first solo album. Um, I think it's called Nothing Special, and and uh, and he's just he's a special guy. You know, my favorite artists. I've kind of like found ways to friend them <laughs> or sort of voice myself on them over time. And so I've gotten to know Will a little bit and just, you know, to see someone continue to make incredible music. And, you know, he's been doing this 25 years. He's finally, the New Yorker profiled him a few months ago. It's great to see he's finally getting some, some love, but, uh, um, you know, so that, that album I've been listening to a lot. And, uh, um, I've been reading this book called river man and it's about a, uh, this unusual guy who uh, just um, fell in love with exploring America's rivers and he would make these sort of home built rafts and float down them for decades. And he's like, he's explored every waterway in the country. And it's, it's, it's a pretty incredible book about like a wandering type. So if you like, it's kind of like a on the road, but on the river, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Those are, those both sound like great recommendations. Um, Unfortunately, that is all the time we have here today. Um, Davey, thank you so much for being on our program today. Yeah. And to all of our listeners, remember to stay hungry.